Hello, and welcome to episode 81 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. On today's show, we are talking all about that very specific balance that you're looking for as you think through your product lineup. If you are a food or beverage founder who has multiple product lines or many flavors or a multitude of sizes, you are really going to love today's episode with Ellen Raleigh, the founder and lead consultant of Ellen Raleigh Creative and Strategy. Ellen and I are going to talk through product lineup, evaluate margins in your mix, looking at your assortment from the SKU level and the different roles that each of your products play as you put together your overall strategy. We are in for a good one, so stay tuned. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is supported by QuickBooks, an online accounting software that I have been using since day one in my business. Okay, fine. Maybe not day one, but if I could go back in time, I certainly would have started using it on day one. QuickBooks has helped me get organized and stay organized with my business finances, and it ensures that I pay my quarterly taxes on time and accurately each year. If you want to try QuickBooks and save 50% off your first six months, use my link in today's show notes. I promise you that you'll wish you had started using it earlier in your business as well. Welcome, Ellen. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Allie. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Okay, so before we dive in, let me tell my audience a little bit more about you. So my whizzes, like I said in the intro... I know you're going to love Ellen. (laughs) Ellen works with farmers and other integrity-based product businesses to launch and sell profitable products. Her specialties include CGMP and organic compliance. Ellen, you're going to have to tell me if I said that correctly. (laughs) And basically, basically, Ellen, that means you help producers navigate the process of getting certified by the FDA or going through that organic certification Ellen, you work with clients on product development as well, and also go-to-market strategy. So Ellen, did I say that, right? CGMP? You did. And it's funny because a lot of times people just say GMP now. So I dated myself (sighs) a little bit by saying CGMP. I'll have to edit that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Okay. I'm going to keep on with my little little bio of you. So um, my listeners, Ellen says her interests in values-based markets led her to study the success of fair trade movement in Germany and England. She launched a jam line for an olive oil ranch that was featured in the debut of Martha Stewart's American Maid Shop. Actually, I think this is where Ellen and I first connected when we sold that jam at Byright. And then Ellen started her own business, Ellen Raleigh Creative and Strategy. So products that Ellen has helped launch can be found at farmers markets and grocery stores and specialty shops in magazines like Food and Wine and at high-end spots. So I'm going to end with this, this little bit. So in going back and forth with Ellen before this interview, she said that she believes that products made with passion and conviction can change our relationship to the land and to each other. Okay, so that's where I want to start. So welcome, Ellen. It is about time that I had you on the show. I feel like this is a long time in the making. So thank you for what you do in our industry. I am so grateful for you on the show today. 
let's let's start there. So I know you do a lot to help farmers and small producers. Tell me what you're currently working on. Right now, I'm currently in actually a mode that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm writing applications for something called the Value Added Producer Grant, which is a grant for farmers to help them with working capital to launch these types of products. And right now is the first phase, which is looking at all their numbers, looking at their cost of goods Mm -hmm. and how things are selling and coming up with a real strategy of how to grow their revenue over time and create different like marketing campaigns that are going to help support do that. So it's a perfect time for this conversation because I've been deep in (laughs) spreadsheet mode, just spreadsheets all day. Amazing. Okay. So Ellen, I know throughout this conversation, we're going to like talk a little bit, like we might come back to this value added producer grant, but for those who are listening, maybe like mid February and beyond, and they're like, Oh, that sounds good. I want in on it. Mm. <laughs> Tell me, have like what do you know off the top of your head when the application period closes for the value added producer grant? And if we should yeah. just set expectations with our listeners if they yeah. do or don't have time to apply. Applications are due um, March 22nd is the final date for okay. this year, but they do announce these grants every year. It's not ex- on an exact schedule. So the best thing to do is to sign up for somebody who gives like someone like me who yeah, like, like sure you, that you know, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Or that lets you know when this grant is available again, because it is a really awesome program. Okay, cool. So if people are listening to this episode before that late March due date, I will go ahead and link the value added producer grant directly in our show notes. Um, before we dive into our topic, can you just give us like the few sentences on on who is eligible for that grant? Yeah, I'll do a bit. So there's obviously gets into nitty gritty, but the the biggest thing is it's farmers. You have to be the producer of at least 50% of the commodity that you're gotcha. working with. So yep. you, you can buy in ingredients, but the main commodity, you have to grow at least 50% of it. And you're either doing what we typically call value-added, which is changing mm-hmm. it into a different product, or, and this is where this grant gets so cool, they consider value-added to be if you're marketing yourself or promoting yourself in a way that adds um, that you can fetch a higher price in the marketplace. So for example, if you market yourself as an organic or local or free range or grass fed, all of those things, you could be selling the commodity itself and you could get money for, you know, marketing things, signage at the farmer's market, um, Uh, branded boxes, all sorts of things that will help promote your farm. Oh, that's amazing. So like, so what I hear you saying is you could either like turn your strawberries into strawberry jam and get the grant because of that, or you could really market yourself as this like amazing, you know, no spray, like beyond organic (laughs) strawberry Mm -hmm. farmer and sell your strawberries like directly at the farmer's market. Like here is a pint of strawberries, I'm still eligible for the grant. Yeah. Or through CSA or through wholesale or through. Yep. And is it, it, and it's open to everybody in the United States, right? It's not a California thing. It's not a California thing. You do have to be either an American citizen or a tribal entity or Hmm. um, a person of tribal descent. Uh, So, which is the language of the grant, not my own. Um, So that's (laughs) That's a good disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
great. Okay. Ellen, I know I didn't have you on the podcast to talk about this grant and I'm sorry I threw that into the loop. So so let's, I know I, gosh, and I'll just say this, like you and I connected, I think, I mean, maybe with your help uh, with the Olive Ranch, I'm not sure if you want to say the brand name or not, Um, but even more so with Joanne and Dan of Little Apple Treats when you were helping them with this grant. Yep. Yep. And this grant really helped them buy better packaging because it'll, it'll pay for packaging. So they could afford now to go get pre-printed boxes that have pouches and like, yeah, yeah. in in pallet amounts so that it brings down the cost and brings down your cost of goods. Um, yeah, it ended up having a huge impact on their business for sure. Oh, it was wild. I, it was, I was, I mean, you can probably hear it in my voice. I was so excited when they were awarded this grant and, you know, just seeing, seeing what cash does to a food business is really, you know, it's really eye-opening. It is. Yep. It definitely is. Okay. So let's talk about our, our main topic today. I, we're going we're gonna to really focus on this idea of thinking beyond your individual products. And, and one of the reasons why I was so attracted to this topic, Ellen, was because I, <laughs> I have students who come into Retail Ready and they're like, I make chocolate ice cream. I make vanilla ice cream. I make pistachio ice cream. Like here are all of my products. Like help me decide which ones should I make and which ones shouldn't I. And like, Allie, like, tell me what to do. <laughs> and I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. What would you say? I think there is great benefit to looking at products individually and understanding your cost of goods, for example, when you're looking at each product. But it's also really important to look at your product line as a product line. I like mm-hmm. to make the analogy that when you start to look at your product line, it's like looking at a permaculture guild. I don't know if you, if you have, um, if you've studied permaculture at all, but it is a concept. The guild is a concept that different plants grown together actually benefit each other in different ways. Mm. So the one that's Mm. most known is the three sisters, which is corn, beans, and squash. So the corn creates a place for the beans to climb, the beans fix nitrogen in the soil and the squash creates cover for the soil so that you don't get too much water evaporation. And in a similar way, when you're just looking at a product individually, you can make a lot of decisions that end up impacting those other products in ways you're not intending to. So thinking about your products as kind of this ecosystem or a guild both helps you create Um, just something that's more layered, that's going to support your overall business goals and um, helps both functionally support each product and then almost like nutritionally in a way. And by that, when it comes to products, I mean, looking at how both the numbers work out and then Mm -hmm. also how the concept or the marketing piece of it works out. And by looking at it as a whole, you kind (laughs) of get a lot of clues on both I, of those points. I love this. I love this so much, Ellen. And I, I, you know, I love numbers. I love marketing. I love product development. So I like, I really like thinking about it collectively. Um, and what did you call it? A permaculture grid? Is that what you guild. call it? It's oh, called guild. a guild, plant guilds. 
there's so many different ones. They're really fascinating to me. Um, but the the one that people know of the most is called Three Sisters, which is the the corn, the beans, and the squash. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that it was called the perma permaculture guild, but I was introduced to this concept by Chrissy of Boonville Barn Collective. And she was talking about um, how, yeah, basically they plant corn (laughs) so that the beans can grow up it. And then sure enough, they don't have to do the labor of like installing fences or like, you know, trellises of any sort. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just seemed, it, it seemed like a no brainer to me. Yeah. And it's definitely something that existed before the term permaculture guild was, mm. <laughs> or a plant guild was created. It's it's yeah. an old uh, way of planting that now we have a way of describing it. But yeah, it's yeah. really wonderful. Fair enough. So I've got a question. When a client comes to, me, comes to you, how do you know whether or not they are looking at their product assortment correctly? Like what would be a what would be a red flag or or something that shows that they aren't they aren't doing this work um, correctly? So the two biggest things I see, and I love saying that I see them as the two biggest things because there's like no shame here. Like, okay, <laughs> it happens all the time. If these are things that you're doing, you're in good company. Lots <laughs> of people are. Um, one is that they're not looking at their numbers, really. Mm -hmm. They're looking at their product line really from an observational perspective. And every time I do these numbers, these number exercises with people, it's really fascinating to see how how our observation and the reality that they Mm -hmm. don't match up a lot of the time. So there's a product that someone's like, this is definitely our best selling product. (laughs) And then you do the numbers and you realize either it's equal or maybe there's actually something that's better, but it's possibly that you love that product so much. So you notice every time someone buys it, or there's like many reasons why that observation could get skewed. Um, And then the other thing is when people do start looking at their numbers, so they start looking at their cost of goods. Because, you know, we know we're supposed to do that. We're business owners. We're going to do it. And then there's this misunderstanding, I think, that that you're supposed to judge your product by cost of goods alone. Mm-hmm. And that the main objective is to maximize margins above all else. That like that's you're supposed to minimize costs. And if a if a product has bad margins, it gets scrapped. Yeah. Um, I see this. I've, I've definitely seen that. Right. Cause yeah. that's, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but these early stage entrepreneurs, we, we see this a lot, decide that they're going to launch a business and make a dozen different SKUs, right? They're like, you know, I can do, you know, I can do all of these different shrubs. Like, and we have all this seasonal fruit. <laughs> like we, you know, we're going to launch all these different flavors. I'm not just speaking about Joanne and Dan with little apple treats. I've seen this many, many times. And, and then, you know, they get into their business and they realize how operationally taxing that is, right? That it's, it is challenging to produce and sell a dozen different SKUs or or more, right? Um, Yeah. And then there's like the one customer who asks for something (laughs) and you're like, that's a great idea. So you make a whole new product that then possibly like you're not 
the best at making and yes. spending all this time and effort in the packaging and it's not even selling very well. But, you know, yes. there's all these little things that happen because we like evolve just in yeah. real time. Yeah. Or, you know, the other thing I see happen too is someone will, you know, be looking at their products and be like, you know, we really have to discontinue this one. But then they think about that, like wonderful, sweet woman who buys it once a <laughs> month at the farmer's market. And they're like, we can't possibly discontinue that product. We would disappoint, you know, little old <laughs> you know, yeah. Roberta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I see it, but so I think, I think for early stage founders, the scrapping the product with the lowest margin seems like a natural step, right? You're like, okay, I'm not making as much money off this one. I'm going to nix it. Um, but I hear you saying that that's not, that's not necessarily the way to make that decision. Right. So, so I, I classify products in kind of these eight main categories. Should I run through them and then yeah. kind of talk about how they work together? Okay. Yeah, sure. So, and, and then there's kind of two parts to this. So actually, before I do that, let me just talk a little bit about that idea because your, your margin, a lot of times when it's low is because obviously there's something going on in your cost of goods. Yep. So you'd want to understand your cost of goods and see, are there places that you can improve there? Um, but you also want to look at your cost of goods and ask the question why when you find the biggest contributors to your cost of goods, because just like it's not, you know, the thing with the worst margins gets cut. It's not necessarily that the thing with the highest contribution to your cost of goods should just get eliminated or tried mm -hmm. to minimize because mm -hmm. that could be part of what makes you really unique. So why is that cost so high? And is there something that you aren't telling people yet that you could be about that cost so that they understand the value and mm -hmm. the specialness mm -hmm. of your product? It, it ends up when you're looking through your costs, I think we get into, we, we compartmentalize kind of like operations and marketing a lot of the time. And so when we're looking at our numbers, we're just looking at it from this very mathematical operations mindset. But if you bring in and bridge some of that creative energy that you bring to your marketing and your positioning and the way you talk to your customers, you can end up finding, you can kind of mine your cost of goods for some marketing raw gold, like the mm. raw gold of what you're going to clarify and really connect with a consumer. Um, so that's one thing. So now that I said that, in terms <laughs> of when you're looking at your product line as a whole, I like to think of these eight different types of products. I'm ready so for them. There is the star or the hero. This is the product that gets all the press attention. It's like the jazz hands. It's like the, the theater kid at school who's just like very loud and always gets attention. Yes. It's bringing people to your brand because of the attention it gets. It could have like really cool packaging or a or something really unique about the flavor. It's not necessarily your best seller, but it's something that mm. attracts attention because it's it's different or showy in some way. That's a great um, clarification that it's not always the best seller. It but isn't. It's the weird, like the weird huh. um, flavor is not always the best seller, but it might yep. be what a lot of um, news agents want to write about. They're gotcha. Okay. In. Yep. So the star or the hero product. Mm -hmm. 
And products can be more than one of these classifications. Uh, gotcha. Right. right. We don't, we aren't telling people that they need eight different products right. here, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, there's the storyteller. So this is the product that is really telling a key piece of your story as a company. So say your founder was from Brazil, from the small town in Brazil, and you have a line of drinks and you do one drink that's named after the founder's hometown and has flavoring that's really focused on Brazil. Like that would be something that's telling part of the story of your brand. Um, there's the welcome wagon. So this is a product that's really easily easy to get people to convert to. So either it's maybe a low price point or it might be a flavor like strawberry that people recognize. That's like easy to mm-hmm. kind of hook somebody on. Um, then there's, so that's number three. Number four is your best sellers. You can't really ever predict these, but there's always these products that they are constantly your best sellers. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I love this. Okay. Tell me number five. Number five is the indispensable ones. So I, I would need some help actually to put this in a food business context Um, For beauty, which is also what I work on, this Mm -hmm. will be something like a wash because most buyers of spa, they don't want the moisturizer and the fancier moisturizer if you don't also have a wash like they yep, want all three yep, together yep, so yep. you have to make the wash I don't know if there's some yeah I um this is a great like test for me off the top of my head I think one of the ones um would be like gosh um I mean my mind immediately went to um like a uh, country like sourdough with our mm. our bread producers, right? Like yeah. it it is totally fine to put that like sprouted rye on the shelf and the like olive baguette and your like seeded bread, but not unless you're also going to give me a sourdough, like exactly. a plain sourdough. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, so the indispensable ones. Yep. Yeah. Hey. That's what I call <laughs> um, Number six is the origin keepers. So this is a storyteller too, but it's really that first product. It's the mm-hmm. first product you made and then being able to this, tell the story of that first product that you made and where it all came from mm-hmm. as you grow. Um, they're the margin makers. And those are the ones that just have really good margins, not always the best sellers, unfortunately which is where you start coming up with strategy. Cause sometimes you have these awesome margins and not many people, cause maybe the, the flavor is kind of plain. So people right, aren't right. really into it or the packaging is kind of plain. So people aren't really into it, but they make really good margins. Um, and then last is your problem solvers. This is one I added recently. So this is more from the operations perspective of say, you're a sauce producer and you always were left over with all these tomato skins. And then Mm. you start making a tomato salt because you can dry the skins and turn it into a salt. You're like fixing a problem either in reducing waste in operations or creating year round production. So you can employ people year round. You might like have a skew that helps you become more efficient in your operations. And that's really its role. Totally. So Ellen, I, I really connect with these eight different roles that mm-hmm. <laughs> the products can play in the lineup. Can I, I imagine the answer is yes, but can you confirm for me that that products might some of these products might switch switch roles over time as well? Yeah, definitely. And 
when you're thinking, especially because what happens when you do a larger analysis of your your products next to each other and kind of understand the role that different products are playing, you'll come up with strategies. So for example, you have those bestsellers. Say we had a bestseller, but the margins are not great. And we have this margin maker, but it's not a great seller. What you're going to want to do, one strategy would be that you start bundling those products together Mm. so that Mm. the bestseller is helping the sales of the margin maker and the margin maker is helping the fact that now you're selling them together. So the margins are getting better because you're, you're getting the the good margin and the bad margin at the same time. Ah, That margin maker might now be a bestseller um, and the bestseller could could end up being better in your average margins over time. That's why it's hard. Like it, that's why when you're just looking at products by themselves, you kind of lose this ability to like sleuth around and mm-hmm. find strategies that are going to help these different roles, um, basically help um, leverage the role that they're playing. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really like thinking about it like this because it, it, almost feels like you're providing a little bit of relief for, for our food and beverage producers and our farmers here, where, where we're not saying that every single product in your lineup has to be super high selling or has to be super high margin or has to be that like sexy one on your website, right? Like there's not to say there's room for everything because I do think there is a right. limit to how many SKUs we should be producing. But but what I hear you saying is it's okay if if products fill different needs. Yeah, it's okay. And it, it looking at them this way allows you to come up with new ideas on like how you promote, how you package, how you talk about, how you sell your products and then see how that affects the data. Cause it's always this like cycle of the creative and then back to the strategy and the creative and back to the strategy. So if in the end it's still not really working, yeah, maybe it is time to scrap that product. Or like you were talking about before, if it's like really not convenient for your operations, maybe Mm -hmm. it is time to scrap the product. But before you do that, you could be missing this, um, this ability to create something larger than just these individual products on a page. Yes. Okay. This, this makes a lot of sense to me. I've got a few clarifying questions for you Mm -hmm. here. So how often do you think people should look at, look at their assortment and, and go through an analysis like this? I like doing a cost of goods, like a cost of goods analysis, and then a larger skew analysis once a year, I think Mm -hmm. is a good basic tool. Mm -hmm. I think and then if you're in a super growth mode, maybe yeah. you make that a little bit more often. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you're someone like, uh, if you literally are a farmer where your, you know, your prices are changing, um, you know, either seasonally or annually because of factors that are way beyond your control, you would mm-hmm. you would really want to make sure you're doing that, you know, annually or more frequently too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. have some we have some producers in retail ready whose costs you know, have been the same for the past five years and other ones who are like, oh my gosh, Allie, like my one core ingredient. I mean, we saw this a couple of years ago with almond, like people who were making almond uh, products or vanilla. Yeah, exactly. Who were like, oh my gosh, 
my uh-huh. cost of goods doubled uh, because yeah. of the drought in California or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And, and, and that was jars really has been a big one now. Because <laughs> jars has been a big packaging. one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So, so yes, I asked um, how often you should be doing this and you said, you know, annually or so. And then I, I really want to clarify when, when someone sits down and does this, they're looking at, the numbers around their cogs and the the margins there. And then they're also looking at their sales numbers as well, right? And kind of balancing those two, two things. Yes. So your cost of goods, um, which is, in case anyone is wondering, um, is the cost that it takes, the cost of producing a unit of your product. So that is your ingredient cost, your packaging cost, your labor cost. The ingredient cost includes the shipping cost of those ingredients yep. as well. Same with packaging. Um, so it's not your overhead. It's not like shipping it to your customer for e-commerce. It's really just on the production side. And then your sales. Um, so how much of each individual product is selling. And then that is a percentage of your overall sales, both in value and in quantity, because sometimes that that ends up being really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then when you look at that with the cost of goods together, you start seeing what's selling. So say you end up, it's like, oh, I'm selling great on this product, but it costs me $2 to make a dollar in that product where mm-hmm. I'm not selling as well. I'm also, I'm selling equally well, maybe on this product that I'm not spending much effort on. Um, and in that product, I'm actually only spending a dollar to make a dollar. So maybe I should put more of my focus on the one that I'm yeah, it's like more that, money at. That like 80-20 rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've seen a, a few producers who have almost like a sense of guilt for making money off something that's easy to produce mm. or something that truly is like, I mean, I don't want to say like food waste, uh, cause it's not like they're digging out, out of the garbage, but like, mm-hmm. you know, um, like carrot tops or, or something that otherwise would be composted. Have you, have you encountered that at all with your clients, Ellen, where people have some like strange guilt around selling value added products? I have seen guilt around all of these things. Really. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fair. Such a beautiful place. Cause really so yeah. many food producers who are doing this um, because of some sort of passion or because of some sort of larger mission, mm-hmm. you know, that um, it makes sense that sometimes these things feel a little, it takes some time, maybe like getting used to um, really thinking about, okay, but really thinking about how the numbers look. And yeah. the, the thing I would say to that person is one, it's great to then look at your average margins because maybe if you look at that particular item, you're like, whoa, I'm only spending 50 cents on this and I'm charging five bucks. Like I'm taking advantage of people say, Mm -hmm. you know, but then you look at that as it compares and how much of it you're selling again, in this more holistic way, when you're seeing now over all your products, what's your average margin over all your products. And it could be that your average margin is 30% even like, which isn't great. And so um, that one product is lifting up the margins yeah. of these other products. So it's it's not really fair to yourself to just look at that one product on its own. Yeah. I think and this when, is, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I oh, I was there. just going to say, I, I know that you talk about this a lot too, but it's, I, I talk a lot about 
um, we talk about sustainability and the the sustainability of the producer has to be part of that conversation. You as the business owner, your sustainability, your ability to enjoy working in your business and to keep your business around in the long term, to pay, to have the ability to pay help, all of those things that has to be part of what you mean by sustainability, because you're equally worth your your value is equally as important as the fact that you want to create a product that's sustainable for the environment. You know, it also has to be sustainable for you and your life. Oh my gosh. Amen to that. Yeah. I feel that like Ellen. Preach. Okay. Yes, preach. <laughs> I love it. I can't get enough of that that yeah. conversation because I feel like it is so it is so missing in our food industry, especially, gosh, you probably see it even more so in the farming industry. These people who are literally like laboring away physically and emotionally to, you know, to support their families and to support the land. And like, it just, it, there has to be a balance because it's, mm-hmm. un, it's unsustainable, um, mm-hmm. if not. Whew, our episode took a little deep <laughs> there. I I like it, Ellen. <laughs> so I'm going to have us wrap up here. And I've, I, I imagine some of my listeners are like, okay, cool, Ellie. Cool, Ellen. Like, I hear you on this. Like, I am, I would love to identify these eight different roles in my product assortment, but like, that sounds like a lot of work and I don't have time for that. Ellen, I've got two questions for you. The first one being, where can people find you? And the second one being, are you taking new clients? Because I don't, <laughs> I always yeah. ask that too, because I'm like, we need to set expectations here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I love that question. I welcome everyone. So um, people can find me on my website. So I'll point you to one freebie that has a little bit to do with what we were talking about today. Um, it's ellenraleigh.com slash build your customer base. That's all one word. And it really goes into the storytelling part of all this. It's based on my years of experience, including a short stint on a television sales, home shopping network. Oh my gosh. And what I learned about <laughs> connecting all these debt, all this good, that marketing raw gold that you're going to collect from doing your cost of goods, how to actually connect that to your customer's needs. So oh, that, that makes, I'm so excited for that, Ellen. We will link that directly in the show notes. So people don't have to, you know, type in okay. oh, com slash build your customer base. Yes. Thank you. Um, and then when you get that, you'll be on my my email list and I'll announce the next round of my profitability roadmap service. So I'm not currently taking on as of today, as of the recording, taking on new clients, but I yep. will be again in April or August of this year, depending on a few factors. And profitability roadmap is my six week one-on-one service that really helps plan out a route to profitability and powerful positioning. And at the base of it, is creating this bridge between the numbers and the creative. And we do these exercises. This kind of is the beginning of understanding what's going on under the hood so we can get your business um, working for you. And that's both for people with just a new idea and also people who have established brands. Awesome. And that's the profitability roadmap. Can I link Mm -hmm. that in our show notes as well? Yeah, I'd love that. Okay, perfect. 
Ellen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for preaching the importance of knowing your numbers and knowing what the heck is going on with your product assortment. I am being very sincere when I say that I, I truly value the work that you do in our industry. And thank you for being on the Food Biz Wiz podcast today. Oh, thank you, Allie. I really appreciate the work that you do too. I love having this conversation with you. I've been looking forward to it all week because I love your perspective of someone whose original background was as a buyer and mine with the original background as a producer. And I think it's just like been so fun to talk about a topic from those perspectives. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes. Bye. Bye. Okay, my whizzes, thank you for joining in on episode 81 with Ellen Raleigh. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. And you guys know the drill by now. Come and let me know either in my DMs at It's Allie Ball on Instagram or over in our Food Biz Wiz Facebook group. Tell me how you liked the show. I'd love to know what your big takeaway from today was and what you are going to think about first. So remember, you can listen to all of the content in the world But until you implement, until you put changes in place, you are not going to see true progress in your business. So get to it. (laughs) You can find the link to my Food Biz Facebook group or my Instagram profile directly in the show notes. And of course, links to everything that we talked about in today's show. So I'm going to be back here next week with a really fun episode all about the lessons that I learned as I emceed the Naturally Bay Area Pitch Slam last week. And I got to see the behind the scenes of seven emerging brands as they pitched their products on our virtual stage. So I'm going to share what went well in those pitches and what I personally thought where I thought there was some room for improvement. So if you are looking to pitch to investors in the future, you do not want to miss out on episode 82. Okay, so I'll see you right back here next week. Until then, have a good one. Bye. Thanks for supporting the brands who support this podcast. This episode is supported by QuickBooks, an online accounting platform that most of my clients use and that I use to keep our business financials organized and accurate. Save 50% off your first six months of QuickBooks using my link in today's show notes. It's time to get financially organized and they will help you with it. It couldn't be easier. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.